Good morning and welcome. I'm Shay Ryanga. I'm blessed to be one of the pastors here. And, and good morning to those worshiping with us online and those who are in the cafe this morning. It's just such a privilege to be with you this morning. I just can't say enough. And, and I've got to just say that I'm just so grateful um, for the worship team and for our sound crew and our AV team. Worship's been so beautiful. It, it usually is, but thank you. Um, man. We're concluding this morning our sermon series that we've been in called Joy to the World. And we're gonna look at verse four. And I have to say, verse four is really what created this conversation of doing the sermon series to begin with. Like thinking about all the Christmas hymns that we sing and Joy to the World turns 300 years old um, this year. And this verse of all verses has kind of been the one that, that's, that's perplexed me a little bit. And it's caused me to pause and think through what it could possibly mean and what Isaac Watts, back when he wrote this verse, what, what he could be saying. And so far throughout the sermon series, we've, we've lifted up this cosmic event that we're gonna celebrate tomorrow and the next day, which is weird. So I know our weeks might get thrown off, but I hope you plan to come at 10, 2, 4, 6, 8 on Monday or Tuesday or 10 and 1130 at Tuesday, so which is tomorrow and the next day. So I know my schedule is going to get a little screwed up, but, but it's good. It's, um, I'm thankful for it. But in, in celebrating joy to the world and looking at all the verses that we've looked at so far, we've come to understand some of the depth of what's going on in the incarnation. That it, in light and in view of Christ coming into the world, it's a turning point for the history of heaven. It's a turning point for the history of the world. In verse four, Isaac Watts writes, verse four, which says, he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glory of his righteousness and wonders of his love. So what, what is being said about the nations and what's the role of the nations and what's our role as God calls us to live and act and, and, and be faithful to him in the world? What's our role amongst the nations? What message does Christmas have and what does the incarnation mean for the nations? I, I don't pretend to have a lot of clear cut answers for us about all of that, but those questions are gonna be in the background for us this morning as we explore what this message of Christmas, what the incarnation could mean for the nations. And if anything you hear from me this morning sounds like it vaguely applies to maybe some of the news that we're dealing with in our own culture, in our own country. Um, I don't mean to be vague. I, I mean to speak generally about this relationship of, amongst the, God's relationship to the nations and how we're to participate in the nations. And if, if it, it seems to apply to what we're living through right now, it's, it's because these are questions and these are concerns and these are issues since God created us and called us, we've been dealing with. And that these, these are issues at all places and at all times, men and women, the sons and daughters of God have struggled with as we identify our citizenship is in the kingdom. Our citizenship is in heaven. And yet we live here. <laughs> 
and how we, we live and negotiate with the authorities and the powers that be um, is difficult. And yet it's something I think we're invited to do in this song. And so we think about the complex history of, of tribal leaders and, and kings and queens and presidents and prime ministers and, and the complexity, the way in which the laws and, and the governing structures have expanded and evolved over time, thinking biblically back to the beginning. Back to the beginning, the word nation and nations doesn't really get used until we see Noah and Noah's sons after the flood and the genealogy of all the sons and the family of Noah that, that scatters across the world. And God says to us, just like he does in the beginning of creation, to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to scatter. I want you to be fruitful and enjoy all of creation all that I've made in fellowship with me. He tells Noah and Noah's families to, to scatter now and to subdue the earth and, and not to stay in one place, but to fill the earth, to enjoy all of creation. And yet, as we see from the beginning, our relationship with God is such that we push, we push against the boundaries of life and the boundaries that he gives us. We try to make a name for ourselves. We build monuments to remember our name. You remember this story in Genesis chapter 11, verses one to nine, the Tower of Babel. Now the whole world had one language in a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. This is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So God here has to take the initiative again. He has to come and directly remind us of who is ultimately sovereign. <laughs> And he comes and he does what he intended for us to do, what he called us to do, but us and our rebellion didn't do as we find a place that's comfortable and we settle there <laughs> to make a name for ourselves. That's why sometimes we use reverse psychology on our kids and tell them not to do something we really want them to do because we're all little rebels and we think we're higher and above the instructions we've been given. And so God has to come directly and act in a way and scatter across the face of the earth. So we're, he, he doesn't have this intention for us to be this uniform people with the same culture and the same language, but he intends for us to scatter and fill the earth. 
This is precisely in scripture at the very beginning, again, it's the first half of Genesis where we go from being referred to as a, as a single character, humanity, humankind, to a particular people where we start to see this diverse amount of tribes and nations that start to form. And God comes then to one man who's named Abram and he eventually gives him a new name and he says, through you, Abraham, and your descendants, I'm gonna make of you a great nation. And many nations are gonna come from you. <laughs> and he calls Abraham out. And at this particular point, who's in charge? Who are the governing authorities? What do the nations look like in terms of God's people? And Abraham, as far as it depends on Abraham, he believes that God rules the world. Like there is no overarching authority structure, inter an intermediary, another layer between Abraham and God. Although as we see, as Abraham encounters people, there are different nations and tribes forming and, and these different, different structures, different way in which to organize and to create and establish order amongst geographical areas. But for Abraham, for the people that God has set apart and called, there, there, there is no king. In fact, if we read 1 Samuel chapter 8, <laughs> it's a concession God makes to the people of Israel who get upset. They look around and they see neighboring nations and they've got kings. We want a king that we can talk to directly in this kind of a way. And we get a little jealous of what the other nations have. And so, so we beg and we clamor for a king and it's a concession God makes. And God out of his grace warns us about how that'll go. And, and there's a description of of what the kings will do to the people and the way in which they'll kind of tax the folks in an unfair way and use them and oppress them and take the good honest work of the people and, and use that and the surplus of all the resources however, however the king wants to use it. God warns Israel of all this and still they say, now we want a king. We want a king. So it's a concession God makes to give Israel a king. So how in the world, how in the world is God using the nations to prove the glory of his righteousness and wonders of his love? Because it doesn't seem obvious, does it? I mean, does it seem obvious to you? Uh, we've lived, if we look just over the last hundred years and the kind of violence that's plagued the earth. The world hasn't really seen before. Over the last hundred years, we see the decisions that governing authorities make, not just in our country, but in all the nations. Governing authorities make decisions and make policies that sometimes neglect to care for the people who, who are in their charge. Make decisions that cause destruction, make decisions sometimes and laws that have unintended consequences and sometimes harm God's good creation in ways that maybe weren't intended but end up happening anyway. It's difficult to see. It's difficult to see how God, I think, proves, use the nations to prove the, his glorious righteousness and the wonders of his love. Was Isaac Watts wrong in writing this? 
My good friend John Fortner this week reminded and asked this question, like maybe it's easy for Isaac Watts to write this verse in the midst of early 18th century England when the sun never sets on the British Empire. (laughs) The sun never sets as expansive as the British Empire was and the kind of success that the British Empire had and, and the relationship between church and state was tough to distinguish. It was so united, like where the jurisdiction of the church ends and the state begins is is tough to understand. They were so united and it was definitely seen and believed that this kind of expansion and the success of the British Empire was divinely ordained. So is Isaac Watts just referring to to the British Empire, or or is he actually referring to all the nations? And I think he really is referring to all the nations, that God makes the nations prove the glory of his righteousness and wonders of his love by giving them authority and holding, and holding the nations accountable to that authority. Paul writes for us in Romans chapter 13, verse one to four, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves for rulers hold no terror over those who do right. But for those who do wrong, do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. Paul is addressing the authority's responsibility to maintain order and justice. Prolific New Testament scholar N.T. Wright puts it this way. He says, this passage is a general statement about ruling authorities. It applies to all legitimate authorities all the time. It is based on a general belief in the desire of the creator God for order within societies. Now watch this. Here's an important word that Paul uses to describe the role of those who are in authority as he continues. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid for rulers. Do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Now, let me say something here. Paul's making a general statement about the role of those in authority. There's all kinds of particular questions we could ask and it doesn't answer every complex question we could ask about our relationship with the authorities. Like what happens when the wrongdoer's the one who's the ruling authority? Like what happens then? Like Paul isn't specifically answering that question here. It is a general statement Paul is making about the importance of the governing authorities and that their responsibility to God is to create order, to establish some structure, to maintain justice and that they're God's servants. And the word for servant here is diakonos. Diakonos. So Paul will use this word here in 1 Corinthians 3, 5. He says this, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants, diakonos, through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. 2 Corinthians 6, 3 through 4 
We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants, diaconos, servants of God, we commend ourselves in ministry. We commend ourselves in every way. This word diakonos is also translated throughout the New Testament as minister and deacon. So, so to establish order and justice and freedom, which makes it possible for the followers of Christ to live out their vocation and be the church, this is the role of the governing authorities. As Paul is making this case and making this argument and making this statement about God's will for the governing authorities to establish this space, this space of peace, this space of order, this space where justice is executed. It's so the church can be the church because in context, in building up to what Paul says in Romans chapter 13, he describes who you and I are called to be. And, And so the governing authorities are meant to create and establish this space of order so that in, in chapter 12, the verses right before we just read, so that we can bless those. We can bless those who might persecute us, bless and not curse. We can rejoice with those who rejoice. We're called to mourn with those who mourn, to live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people in low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So the authority is given to the nations from the only one who has it to give. And the nations are meant to create these peaceful, ordered spaces where justice is executed so the church can be the church. But what what happens when that doesn't happen? (laughs) We've seen, you know, I mean, how often do the nations realize that's, that's actually their vocation. That's who they're called to be. That's what they're called to do, called to be servants of God. What happens when the nations use the gifts that God has given them and the authority that God has given them to do terrible, terrible things? Why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. And this is what God does. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath saying, I have installed my king on Zion, on my holy mountain. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease 
to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The nations will be held responsible. The nations will be accountable for the ways in which, just like you and I, we turn and manipulate and use the good gifts that God gives us for evil, selfish ends, for our our own special and self-interest, and that the nations too will be held accountable for the way in which they turn tools like, like the sword, which is a symbol for justice that's, that's often turned and used to decide when someone would live or die. And yet the sword, these tools that we so often see the nations use, those tools, tools like the sword, it can't cut deep enough, it can't cut deep enough to, to cut off the roots of sin from the world. So what role are we to play? What's our responsibility amongst the nations? Like to what extent are you called to get in the middle of it all and to fight some battles that need to be fought in the public sphere for, for good policy, for more justice, for more funding, for to, to, to what extent are you called to do that? And, and maybe you have reservations about that and there's, there's very faithful men and women that, that have decided it's best not to get entangled with the powers that be and to stay focused on who God's called me to be. And I can't answer that for you, what God's called you to do and to what degree you're to engage and not engage in those, in those areas. Even though we are blessed to have a civic responsibility and to vote for men and women who love and fear God above all else. Not here to answer that. Only you can answer the degree to which you participate with that. Joy to the world lifts up the truth that even the nations, even the nations are called to be servants of God. Their power and authority, their jurisdiction isn't ultimate. It isn't everlasting. Their reign is actually temporary. They serve a crucial role in keeping our earthly cities ordered and hopefully, hopefully, with some measure of justice and fairness, with a sense of the common good for its citizens. But our challenge is, is not to confuse, not to confuse the role and the power of the nations with the will of God. And too often in our history and in the history of the world, we've mistaken the role and the will and the success and the victories of the nations as synonymous with the will of God. Too often we've looked to the nations to fight some of the greatest battles that we think need to be fought and need to be won. And yet it isn't the nations. It's not the nations who can fight and win the battles that we need won the battles that we really need won. 
the battles as Paul reminds us in Ephesians, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and the, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. <laughs> there, there are good battles that we need to fight in the public sphere, but the battles that we need to fight and that we need one for us the battles over sin and death, the battles with the spiritual forces of evil, <laughs> they can only be fought and they can only be won by the blood of Jesus. No nation, no leader <laughs> can win the ultimate war and the ultimate battle that we need one. And I wonder with all the noise and all the headlines and everything in the news in our country. I wonder, as we blame and we get angry and we get frustrated at our political parties, at our leaders on all sides, I wonder if it's because we've placed too much hope in the nations. Have we placed too much hope in them? and not enough hope in our Lord and Savior who comes in the flesh, who comes as a child, who is tempted in every way, who experiences sorrow that we can't fathom for you and for me, who fights for us and wins for us the battle that we need one for our salvation so that we can live with God in fellowship, so that we can be a light in the world. The hope of the nations is the same as the hope of you and me. It's the King of kings and the Lord of lords who is above all powers, who's above all kings, who's above all of our wisdom, <laughs> who's above all the ways of us men and women, who's of sovereign above all. The only sovereign nation is our God. And even he, even he can use corrupt nations like Rome, who Paul was, was writing to the church in Rome, who is, is a, that's an empire that's a clear sign for us that they did not self-identify as servants of God. <laughs> <laughs> as they persecuted the church, as they allowed and assimilated in the worship of all kinds of gods and, and, and allowed all kinds of idols to exist and, and persecuted the church and tried to oppress the church and, and kill the church, emperor after emperor, Caesar after Caesar. Clearly, this empire is not doing the will of God, but yet even a nation that is corrupt, even a nation that doesn't see itself and identify as a servant of the most high God, God can still use for his purposes and for his glory. As time after time, leader after leader, in the midst of the early church, those Roman roads that still exist, some of which still exist today, were the very same roads built by a nation and by an empire that kept the faithful men and women of God, 
that kept the message of the good news that we are about to celebrate tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day joy to the world that kept that message going to the ends of the earth. Because he rules the world, the message couldn't be stopped and couldn't be contained even in the midst of an empire that was not a servant of God, at least didn't see itself that way. And so, what's our role? What's our job? I think, I think we all have to answer that differently, but I think for all of us, our job, our job is to remind the nations that they are servants of God. Our job is to pray, to pray for our leaders. The leaders of our country, the leaders of the nations. And we need to be more discerning and not confuse the will of the nations for the will of of God. We need to not confuse ourselves and remember that the battles, the greatest battle that we need won, the nations can't win for us. Not even our nation can't be won for us. So I want to invite you now, if you would, to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want to pray specifically for our leaders. I want to pray specifically for the nations and the governing authorities over our country and the presidents and prime ministers across the world. So would you please pray with me? Holy God, all authority and all power comes from you. We are your servants and you have called and created the nations to be servants. And so God, we pray especially as we are thankful and we worship and we sing joy to the world, that you do, you do use the nations and you use them to prove the glory of your righteousness and the wonders of your love. And so God, I, I lift up President Trump and House Speaker Pelosi and the men and women who serve in Congress and the Supreme Court in our governors, in all the local public officials, whether it's school board, whether it's judges, God, all the elected officials and governing authorities in our country. All the presidents and prime ministers of the nations, Lord, all the men and women we lift, we lift up and we pray specifically that they would understand they serve you. I pray for humility for our leaders, for our governing authorities, for the nations. I pray for humility that they would have a sense of justice, that they would, they would be humbled by your great love, by your sovereignty, by your power. Lord, that they would lead from a place where they understand that their jurisdiction and their authority is temporary. It's here today and it'll be gone tomorrow. But you, oh God, and your power and your grace and your goodness for us, that is everlasting. So Lord, help us. Help us remind the nations. Help us uniquely serve in the way you've called us to serve, to engage in the public sector and the public sphere 
for the common good of the citizens who live in Mansfield and in the surrounding areas that you've called us to live and serve. God, but most of all, help us understand that our allegiance is to you and to you alone first. That we are blessed to live in a country where we can freely worship you. We are blessed to live in a country that states we are a nation under God. We understand certain gifts and rights that we have only come from you. But God, we too are susceptible to believe sometimes that the works of the nations, the works of our country are in line with your will and help us be a discerning people, God. Help us follow you and be faithful to you first in our life. We thank you. We thank you for our families. We thank you for our friends, God. We thank you in the midst of this season, we're reminded of such good news. The only real good news for the world, the only hope for the earth is you, Emmanuel, God with us. We pray all this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.